Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery so you can better develop products that customers actually love. This episode is sponsored by the Rapid Product Mastery Experience, the RPM Experience. This is the fastest way for product VPs and other product leaders to help their product managers and really everyone that's involved in product work to get on the same page with each other, learning a foundational base of knowledge that everyone needs to know to be proficient in product management and really to build trust and collaboration with each other too. It helps teams move faster after going through this. If you want to find out if it's a good fit for your work, please go to productmasterynow.com RPM and see how it can help you as well. Now, today we're talking about design thinking. I love this tool. Um, I've practiced it some myself and I've seen others use it. We're gonna look through the lens of a unique new program, relatively new, at the University of Wisconsin that is teaching product design from a multidisciplinary perspective. For example, product design grad students are learning UI UX principles at the same time as they're learning about electronic circuits and product packaging and other things as well. And this cross-discipline experience is really unique and it provides a very valuable perspective. But frankly, I just haven't seen it other places. So very glad to be talking about this and kind of an outcome of what this pro- program does, specifically through the eyes of a recent design thinking graduate. This is Emily Fellin. Emily is now a customer experience strategist for Landor & Fitch, the New York-based brand and design group. Previously, she was a marketing specialist for Accenture She also had her own design company and pursued other entrepreneurial interests. And Emily is an amazing illustrator. I think these days primarily for her own work, but if you want to check that out, you'll find some examples of her work on her LinkedIn profile of superheroes that she has designed, which are quite amazing. As always, if you want a detailed written summary of everything that we discuss, including that one page action guide that we create for listeners that helps you immediately put into action the key insights that Emily will discuss with us, Simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 421. Emily, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Chad. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited you are too. And that's because we I first found out about your work and this design thinking experience because I saw you present at the University of Wisconsin Innovation Conference that was just a few weeks ago. And this is a really unique design program. And I'm so glad with my university hat on as a teacher to see more multidisciplinary type programs. Because as product people, we have to really work cross-functionally and being able to get that experience in a graduate program Frankly, it's still pretty rare. Can you just describe the program for us a little bit? This isn't an ad for the program, but I just find it fascinating what is brought together to help people be better design thinkers. I always explain this program because it's so niche. I always explain it as sitting at the intersection between design, engineering, and business. And I say design because obviously it's design thinking. You're using that framework in every course and class that you take there. And you're really focused on problem solving and building solutions, not only from a visual perspective, but from a strategic perspective as well, which is where the business piece pulls in. You're really thinking about bringing products to market, but you're also thinking about building them, which is that third engineering piece. And thinking about building them, that's when we learned how to build circuits, design for manufacturing, and really roll our sleeves up and get into prototyping and really making things. So it was a really great program. We had a a class of 16, and we really got to know each other and work with everybody. And everybody came from unique backgrounds, which is that interdisciplinary piece Mm -hmm. really plays in. And it just diversifies your perspective. And not only are you learning from your teachers, but you're also learning so much from your peers. 
So it's a graduate program. I don't know if there's requirements for having so many years of business experience or industry experience or something before you go into it. Just in your case, if there were 16 students in it, kind of what's the age range of students that were part of this? So it was actually very unique. We had students that had just graduated from undergrad, and then we had other students that were as old as 40. So it was a very interesting mix, and it was really great to learn from those new graduate, optimistic and fresh perspectives, but then also learn from my older peers that were definitely more seasoned in their product design and engineering experience. Yeah, so a really good range. Yeah, so I would be tipping the scales on the older side if <laughs> I came to join. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I was just curious because there might be some listeners that are, might be wanting to look at a graduate program to go back to. Oh, I was just going to say that one of the greatest things about having a few peers that were on the older side of the scale, it was just endearing that they wanted to jump back in and learn. Education is at any age, you can jump back in and get a degree and reskill. So that was very great to see. Yeah. In one of my roles, I mentor PhD students. And my oldest student so far has, was, I think she was 76. Oh, wow. Uh, and it was just a personal goal for her. She wanted to get a PhD before she died. And she that was her motivation to get it done. It's never too late. I love that. Let's focus on design thinking here some. And as I've talked to design thinking practitioners, right, and I have practiced it some myself in workshops with groups, They often have their own flavor or perspective on design thinking, in addition to the general framework, which we would all apply as well. Can you take us through the design thinking framework as you applied it through this program? The framework that we used is the methodology that was born from the Stanford D School. And so it's focused on starting with empathy. So, you know, who are we designing for? Who is our audience? Who are our stakeholders? And how can we empathize with them? How can we put ourselves in their shoes and learn about what they're experiencing to really understand, you know, how phase two defining the problem. It's really about empathizing to learn how we can understand how to ground ourselves in the problem and really try to figure out what are we solving for. And then the third phase is ideating. So that's the really fun phase. (laughs) Everybody always loves ideating because you get to think big and get really creative in, in your ideas. And then the fourth phase would be prototyping, which is building building out solutions and starting with low fidelity prototypes to kind of test, iterate, and refine and build out your final design solution. The phases aren't mutually exclusive. You're jumping back and forth as you um, continue and move throughout your problem solving process. But I do really think that it's important to lay the groundwork with the empathy phase because if you don't understand your user then you really don't know what you're solving for. And often, really solving for that root of the problem takes a lot of research and really grounding yourself in in who are we looking at, what are their needs, what are they experiencing, what does their journey look like, and where are the holes in that journey to really build a well-developed solution. That is the key, I think. And it's where not all product managers start because some of us see different aspects of product management, but... When it comes to creating new value for a customer, whether that's making a new product for them or service or adding, enhancing somehow a product, that's where it starts. As you said, putting ourselves in their shoes. And I like this other metaphor of sometimes this means shoe leather, right? Literally getting out and interacting with people having the problem and trying to understand the the Mm -hmm. nuances of how they experience that problem 
and why that problem really matters to them and starting to think about some insights that might lead to some solutions. So we have empathy, define the problem part, ideate and prototyping. I don't think you talked about test in there. Is test part of this as well? Yes, I wove it in with prototyping. Yeah, because those are ongoing and working together. You're building a low fidelity prototype. Let's say it's made out of styrofoam and then you're testing. What does that feel like? How can I change it? What does it look like? What's the form, but also what's the function? And then you're just refining over and over again and getting feedback all throughout. Yeah, it's really that validating. If our empathy worked for us, if we understood the problem correctly, mm-hmm. and then we're trying to discover of all that brainstorming we might have done during ideate, and we start thinking about how does that make its way into a prototype, are we going down the right path or not with our customer? So this is testing with the customer as we're doing the prototype. Yeah, and it's really trying to hit the nail on the head between figuring out what's a, a desirable desirable from your customer's perspective solution, but then also what's technically feasible and what can we actually make? And then you also have to think about that business viability. What can we do? Is it is it a phased out launch or is it an immediate let's go all in and design the solution? Right. So it's trying to hit the nail on the head in between all those. Not always easy to do. Like when you're talking about prototypes, you talked about like maybe we have a foam prototype that we put together that I'm going to use that word for whoever we're designing for, that they can actually touch and feel and experience. And I know D-School puts a big emphasis on this of being able to have the customer interact with prototypes Mm -hmm. because we tend to think differently. If I'm that customer, when I'm telling you if I like your product concept as you're describing it to me, I can give you some information, but my brain works differently, right? When you put something in my hands and I actually start thinking about how I would interact with this, even if it's just a non-functional block of wood or a foam or something that is starting to represent what the solution might look like. Mm-hmm. Did, how did that show up in your experience with that? So we, when I did a project, I led a team of four through a redesign of a diabetes self-management program. Mm-hmm. And we actually, ours was more digital, but we did... We did a website redesign, and so we actually did have to build a website. We needed something clickable. We needed we had resources and things that we needed to print out and have our key stakeholders use and complete and see how the handoffs work between health educators and um, and patients and things. And because our website was a digital solution, we like really needed to bring a live element to it to really test and make sure that the function worked, simulate that patient experience to really make sure that we were meeting health educators' needs. Give us the uh, initial insight for this project. I, yeah. I don't know if this was a already provided as part of the school experience. This was an audience that, that wanted some help. How did this happen in the first place? Yes, we were provided with the scope of work for our first capstone course. Our client was the Wisconsin Institute for Healthy Aging, hmm. and they had a diabetes self-management program called Healthy Living with Diabetes that was Uh, across the state of Wisconsin. And so our challenge was to, as we all know, diabetes is a huge problem in the United States. Three of five Americans have type 2 diabetes now. And so we were tasked with redesigning this self-management program to be more inclusive for specifically the Black community in the state of Wisconsin. 
and big issue, healthcare, inclusivity, and diversity, and all the things. And where did we start? Well, we started with first buying one another's strengths because this was right at the beginning of our program. We're still getting to know one another and familiar, familiarizing ourselves with the design thinking process. And we needed to figure out, okay, we've got this big issue. What hats do we all need to wear and how can we best work together and make a team commitment with one another? And so... Then we started diving right into the empathy phase. We spoke with the program coordinators, facilitators of the program, participants of the program, and then doctors and health health educators or nurse educators. And we needed to learn about the program. What does it offer? What does it currently look like? And learn about from both lenses of the coordinators who are managing and overseeing it all, the facilitators who are actually operating the workshops, and then the participants who are obviously participating in the workshop and the main beneficiaries of the program. And we spoke to doctors and health educators as well, because when we thought about it, diabetes doesn't start when you're entering this program. It starts at the moment of diagnosis. And we actually found that that doctors and health educators were two critical stakeholders that were completely overlooked Mm. by this organization. They weren't in their ecosystem. And that really struck us as something that we really needed to pay attention to because if a doctor or a health educator isn't aware of the program as a resource for them and their patients, then how can patients get their feet in the door? Right. That was what really struck us in our empathy and throughout the entire process. Yeah, really good job trying to draw that circle around who do we talk to, right? And it's often Mm -hmm. beyond the immediate customer that we might think of first. And in this case, maybe a little bit easier to think about, Mm -hmm. well, they're already delivering this program. Who's involved in delivering that? But others that should be included. I hope all listeners have seen the seen IDEO's shopping cart video at this point. But, and IDEO is the originator of where design thinking began. I was just going to say that we were so fortunate enough that our program director who was teaching our capstone actually was at IDEO for 10 years before she came to UW. And so we really got that tip top tier experience, just learning from her expertise and experience that she gained at that organization. Yeah. And this is such an important first step is to consider all the people that might have knowledge around the problem that you're designing for. And in the shopping cart video, like one of the people they talked to was the maintenance person involved in repairing shopping carts or the person who is responsible for when shopping carts run into cars and dealing with that problem in the parking lot and thinking about what kind of net do you cast about people you need to involve and speak with. And so in this case, the doctors and health educators have been overlooked and were potentially important partners for a program like this. 1000%. They were the most important partners because what we found is that in order to serve the participants and the facilitators, we needed to engage those doctors and health educators, particularly the health educators, because doctors' time with patients these days, it's so limited. And they actually don't even have time to make recommendations for next steps. They More likely than not, they don't. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, but health educators are really responsible for really kickstarting that self-management journey for patients. And so they were the most critical stakeholder that we found in our research. 
Let's dive in. I know we have more to go through for sure, but let's dive into empathy just a little bit more. How did you engage each of these stakeholders? Was this interviews? Was it surveys? Was it a focus group? It was in-depth interviews. It was very timely, but and it was very emotional to hear the stories of participants' diagnosis moment. And then also from the health educator's perspective, you know, trying to lend help to patients that are just going through a really tough time and diagnosis. And these interviews were typically around, I would say, anywhere between 45 minutes to an hour and a half. And it was critical to have more than one person on the interview. There's somebody like this podcast, for example, we're having a conversation, we're going back and forth and asking questions, and you need a scribe that can capture that because most most often we weren't able to record them. And it's really important to lay the groundwork with a comprehensive interview guide mm. just to achieve your goals and make sure that you're getting the information that you need out of the interview. But it's also important to go off script. And if an interviewee is telling you about a very important story, lean into that conversation because you don't know what sort of information you'll find from that. And that was really critical to my team's success because we really started with the participants, facilitators, and program coordinators. And in hearing about these really emotional and intense diagnosis moments, that's what led us to really highly considering that doctors and nurse educators in particular were really going to be a gateway for us to help solve the root of that that problem and better serve participants. And so that was really critical to our team success. Yeah, really good. The one thing I also like about having the two researchers is is one person is interacting, asking the questions, the other person is taking notes. It's hard sometimes, especially if you're focused on the questions and trying to listen to everything, to notice all of the body language. Oh, yeah. And the other person can help with that, too. And sometimes it's just a sigh or a look away or something that tells you, like, man, there's there's more here that we need to dig into. Yeah, for sure. Okay, really good. Okay, empathy, we went through on the, the diabetes project. Just give us kind of the highlights of the other steps you went through and what were the key takeaways there? Yeah, defining the problem. We started by looking at patterns in our research. And in in my presentation, I really emphasized the importance of post-it notes. When we conducted these interviews, we put everything on post-it notes. So that way we, we could move things around and really identify what are these patterns that we're finding in these interviews amongst our all of our stakeholders. And so we identified several key themes. And then we also identified, you know, some barriers to both the illness and the program, which were critical that to leading us to our insights. And as I mentioned in my presentation to you, insights are best presented and they have a point of view. Um, So that would be like a key quote that we found in our research. They would have an analysis of, okay, what can we learn from that? What is that? And then obviously that insight header. And so we found seven key insights that sort of led us to finding three opportunity areas, which we needed to build out deeper and figure out, all right, which avenue is going to lead us to building the best possible solution to this problem. And so in our opportunity areas, we, we took all of our inspiration quotes and insights from our interviews, and we looked at where, who are we focusing on? So we developed opportunities for facilitators, participants, and health educators. And then we had to look at 
where are they right now? And where can they be? And that really inspired a lot of our ideas for solving that problem. So for each opportunity area, we had about four to five ideas of solutions. And then we crafted a how might we question, which is pretty critical for how might we solve this problem. Our three opportunities were how might we how might we inform and empower facilitators to facilitate a better workshop? And then how might we, for participants, how might we help them sustain their healthy habits beyond the program? And then for health educators, how might we inform and engage health educators to be ambassadors and give them this resource, to be ambassadors of the program, give them a resource that they can use for their patients? So very important, how might we type questions, meaning where we might be at by making this improvement. And this led into some kind of prototyping of possible solutions, right? So what did that look like? Yeah. So, well, before we prototyped, we had to analyze what are the resources that these opportunities will require? And then what is their potential impact that they'll make? And so we plotted those on a chart and then we downselected to obviously solve for our health educators. And in prototyping solutions, we took all of our ideas. We built out and simulated a healthy living with diabetes conference that would be marketed to diabetes health educators and inform them about the program. And then we also built out a newsletter that the program coordinators could use to market to diabetes health educators. And then we also did a website that we looked at WeHa's current website and our client's current website, and we found that they weren't actually speaking to or engaging with these health educators. And so we thought, oh, wow, like how can we include them in this ecosystem while also giving them resources that they can use in the room with their patients? And in prototyping, iterating, testing those those solutions, we ended up going with the website and accompanying resources. Okay. And I assume there are probably a few iterations of this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we needed to get feedback from all those stakeholders, doctors, health educators, participants, facilitators, and coordinators. And one had great feedback, whether it was how to reframe the rhetoric that we were using or how to have a feature, a, a, work, a workshop sign-up feature online that was simple and comprehensive and how to get it directly to the participants, either phone or email, and really make it a simple sign-up process. And that was the testing loops as well during the prototyping to get that feedback validate what's right, what's wrong, what we might consider changing. All very good. Thank you for taking us through the, those steps of design thinking and how you applied them to this real world project there for Wisconsin Institute for Healthy Living. Did I get the name right? Institute for Healthy Living? Healthy Aging. Healthy Aging. Okay, thank you. But living, aging, you, you know, one yeah, and the same. I, I kind of right? like living better. Make <laughs> that too. suggestion to them for me. <laughs> As you learned about this and you applied this, not just to this real world project, which is something else I like about the program, right? This wasn't just learning the concepts in a book. It was going out and actually interacting with customers and applying them. Was there anything that you found that you tweaked from the process you were learning that you needed to apply differently? Or maybe something where you found like, we really need to spend more time here. Something that stood out as being significant about the design thinking process that you say, there's a key here that is really important. That's a really good question. I think one place that we could have spent more time on, because 
we were so heavy in our empathy phase, given the type of work that we were doing. I think we could have spent a little bit more time, I would say, prototyping, testing near the end of our project in order to get a few more features on that website. And actually, we actually built out a marketing plan for the organization of how would they bring this to market and conduct the full redesign and prioritize those those changes and build outs. But I think if we had more time working with our client, we definitely um, would have actually helped them build that solution out. And that's something that I would have loved to do. So they actually took our work and they are using it to conduct their redesign. But really being involved in that process because we we were up to our heads in the research and whatnot. And so I think staying close to it would have been excellent as they built it out. Yeah, it is really excellent when we're in an organization to be able to have that continuity. Mm -hmm. And the people that were involved in the very beginning with the customer, understanding the insights, how to create value for the stakeholders involved, and specifically the iterations of, okay, we tried that and that was wrong. We pivoted and we fine-tuned and we realized what was actually the core issue and we responded to that. And then bringing that into, often there's a separate development group that's actually getting this ready as a real product from the design work. And in a lot of organizations, we don't have continuity, right? There, there's these walls where we hand off, throw over the wall, as we to say, the work that one group did to the next group. And you lose a lot of that special nuance that was so significant about what, what really gets to the value. So I think you're absolutely right. That's a good insight of saying, if we could have continuity across the whole spectrum from idea to launched and deployed product, that's particularly helpful to be able to do. Okay, thank you for taking us through that. And just fascinating to learn a little bit more about this program and about this very important tool for us as product people because there's great insights and in design thinking. This is really relatively, I know you have an entire program that you went to grad school for, but relatively easy to put in place because you said D school from Stanford is what the materials and the concepts were based on that you went through. Mm -hmm. And all that is open source from D school and you can find it at Stanford D school online and find all kinds of great examples. And I've used many of those examples and I've taken groups and companies through anywhere from one day to four days, actually getting something done in one day and three or four days is a better sweet spot, I think, but where the company will bring in their customers and we'll do the workshop together and we'll work on an actual problems that their customers identify and ideate with them from time to time. Sometimes we have them out of the room, sometimes we have them in the room. That's so neat. Develop prototypes in real time, kind of like the shopping cart, <laughs> the yeah. ideal video, right? And get feedback on those. And at the end of the day or the four day kind of version, have something really legit that you can pursue as a something to help your customers. Mm -hmm. That's so neat. Yeah. You know the power of this and encourage if listeners have not looked into design thinking to do. Is there a particular book that you came across in your work with this that you would recommend to people? Yes, I actually have two books to recommend. One being that Design is Storytelling by Ellen Lupton. And then another Speculative Everything by Anthony Dune. Excellent. So I'll make sure that's in the show notes to make it easy for people to find as well. So design is storytelling. And the other one is speculative is everything. Yep. Speculative everything. Speculative everything. Good. Thanks for sharing the resources that you found helpful too. As listeners know, we love an innovation quote and asked you to share one with us and what that means to you. Yes. My quote is, it's more of words to live by. So it's commit and figure it out. I think it pertains, I think it 
relates to innovation because as long as you're committed to really problem solving or figuring something out, you're really going to make the world a better place. And so that's a quote from Jimmy Chin. I got this quote from him when I was at a conference that my dad's business was actually at. And my dad was actually lucky to interview him. So I got to meet him after the conference and I asked him, what words do you live by? And he said, commit and figure it out. So ever since then, I've just been committing and figuring it out. That's a good quote. Commit and figure out. Take action and do the hard work along the way because there'll be things we have to figure out because that's what innovation is all about. Thank you for sharing that with us. How can people just find out more about you, the work that you're involved in? I'm on LinkedIn, Emily Phelan on LinkedIn. And then also my website, emilyphelan.com has some work examples and there's contact information there. LinkedIn profile, we'll have the link for that and as well as to emilyphelan.com and that will be in the show notes. Emily, thanks for sharing this experience that you had and how you're, I guess we didn't talk really about how you're playing it now, but (laughs) that example of how you applied it through the graduate program and helping us understand design thinking a little bit better. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this experience and I'm so honored to be here. So thank you. I appreciate that. We have some good insights every now and then to share. Oh, yeah. And listeners, if you want to find the written summary of everything that Emily shared with us, including that one-page action guide that we create for you to help you put into action immediately some of the key takeaways, it's also a great tool to use as a discussion guide with your group. Simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 421, and you'll find those resources. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.